with reading. The reading is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 16, and can be found on page 968 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and the page numbers for those are on the screen. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you very much, um, Ali McGregor. <laughs> Let's pray, shall we, as we uh, uh, come and look at this passage. Lord Jesus, we pray that you might send your spirit to help us understand your words. Lord, these are challenging words, but these are glorious words too that invite us into your kingdom life. And we pray that uh, you might be gracious to us and help us understand this morning uh, what you are saying to us so that we may live this kingdom life, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please keep that passage open, the uh, uh, Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I've been away on holiday. I missed last Sunday, which was apparently a great Sunday to miss in terms of heating. Um, It's great to see you back in faith. The heating was fixed. Uh, But we were actually in a place that was even colder. Uh, We were on holiday. We went to Austria, and um, we were able to stay in a friend's timeshare. And one morning... We, uh, we woke up um, to see uh, this out of our window. Um, and the roof was much steeper than it seems there. Um, there's this guy on the roof uh, clearing the snow without anything holding him safely on. He's just literally standing there shoveling. And uh, some of you may feel... Um, that that's rather like the Sermon on the Mount. You look at that guy and you say, well, that's very impressive, but I could never do that. 
And that's how you feel when it comes to living the Christian life. Maybe every sermon you come to maybe makes you feel, well, that's very impressive, but I could never do that. Well, I I think that would be to misunderstand this, this sermon. This is Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven, and he's inviting you into it. He's saying, if you put your trust in me, if you follow me, then this is the life that I'm going to to bring you into. This is the life that I'm going to draw you into. And it's an invitation to a life that is both glorious and challenging, or glorious and terrifying, almost, really. And, uh, And yet, you don't do this alone. You won't be doing this alone. You have the presence of Jesus with you. So I've got two points, really, and glorious Uh, challenging, and then I've got a summary. So it's really three, but I'm trying to stick to two for the first month. (laughs) There you go. Did you understand that? No, don't worry. Let's move on. Uh, Okay, first point, an invitation to a glorious life. Jesus has come preaching, chapter four. You heard this last week. He's come preaching, and his message is, the kingdom of heaven is near. That's because he's near, of course. The kingdom of heaven is near. And so to enter it, you need to repent. You need to turn around and go in a different direction. And it's it's good news, this kingdom of heaven. Uh, You see in chapter 4 that Matthew talks about that very famous passage that uh, a a light, um, people living in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus is a light coming into the darkness. And so... Um, He's going to tell you what this kingdom of heaven is like and what he's drawing you into. If you're a Christian, this is the life that you're going to be living. So um, you'll see in the beginning, it says that Jesus went up a mountain and he sat down as teachers would do. But rather like Moses went up the mountain, Moses went up a mountain and he gave them the law. Well, Jesus goes up the mountain and... Instead of the law, he gives eight sentences which all start with the same words. Blessed. Instead of the law, it's blessed. And I'm going to say that if we get this first word right, if we understand this word right, then we'll understand the rest of the sermon. You've got to understand what this word blessed means. Now, a clue to that is in Psalm 1. And um, I'm going to, you can look up Psalm 1 if you want to, but I I think I may have it here on the screen. Um, Let me read it through to you. Blessed is the man or the, the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they're like the chaff. They're blown away, they're weightless. Now, do you see the first word there is uh, blessed. Blessed is the person. And uh, this this is a particular person who makes, this is like wisdom literature here. This is, It's saying, look, this person is wise. This person is going to live a a fruitful, right life um, because they've made a deliberate decision. They're they're not going to sit with the wicked or the the, the scoffers or whoever it is 
um, in the company of mockers or stand. Uh, they're not going to walk, stand, or sit, actually, uh, with those people. No, they're not going to do that. They're going to step away from that. And they're going to put themselves under the law of God. And they're going to meditate on that law day and night and let it seep into them. Now, blessed is that person. What are they like? What is the picture? They are like a tree. If you're a Christian, you're like a tree, did you know? A tree planted by water. And do you see the significance of this, this tree? It, it, uh, it yields its fruit in season. The leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So one translation of the word blessed, when, when Jesus uses the word blessed, one translation is flourishing, like this tree. It's not dying on the vine. It's, it's actually flourishing. It's growing. It's a lovely word, isn't it? The way to flourish in, these, in this world. If these eight things, these eight beatitudes mark your life, Jesus is saying you're in the right place spiritually. Now, when you see these things, let me just go on. Whoops, I seem to be doing lots of... I've got Psalm 2 there as well. That's all right. Um, when you do these things... Um, when you read them, it seems, though, that they're counterintuitive. So flourishing are the, what's the first one? Poor in spirit. Oh, that's strange. Flourishing are those who mourn spiritually. Flourishing are the meek. The meek. Those, is that right, really? Is that what I'm meant to be? Giving up power? They're counterintuitive. Now, as you could see from my holiday, we managed to get a bit of skiing in. And um, it's rather like the skiing. I tried to get my ski legs back. And I was skiing in a, in a bit of a whiteout, as they, they call it. And uh, I tried to remember what my ski instructor said many years ago. which is, I kept thinking he was wrong. But he kept saying, you've got to lean down the mountain. You've got to, you've got to lean down. And, uh, and, and that will help you turn. Uh, you've just dropped your shoulder and you lean down and then you lean down this way. And every part of me was trying to do the opposite. Every part of me was going, no, leaning back into the mountain like this. And of course, falling on my bottom, uh, which is not very clever. Um, and, and that's the way these Beatitudes work. So, um, you know, Jesus knows our instincts are for self-preservation. But he's saying, look, if you follow this, if you do this, this is my invitation. It will lead to flourishing like that tree planted by the water. So let's look at the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? Well, it isn't simply poor. It doesn't mean that I haven't got cash. It's, 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 um, it's saying I've not got anything... I've got nothing in the bank spiritually to show before God. See, if you talk to people who are not Christians, um, uh, which I hope you do lots, um, you might have this kind of conversation. Somebody might say to you, look, um, if I die, when I come before God, and I'm not sure God exists at all, but if he does, when I come before God, well, I'll be able to tell him, look, I've done some good and I've done some bad. 
I've been good to my family, my granny, looked after her, you know, I've done some good and I've helped people across the road and that sort of thing. But I, I know I've done some bad as well, you know, I've done some bad, but I've got some spiritual capital in the bank, right? I've got something in the bank to show God. Now, a Christian or somebody becoming a Christian will never say that. They'll say, I've got nothing to show to God that, that would commend me to God. I've got no, nothing spiritual in the bank at all. Um, even, I, I know I've done bad things, but even the good things I do, I do from wrong motives. I do, I do them so that people will like me. Uh, or, or I do them so that I will feel better about myself. <laughs> even the good things I do. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the people who, if you stop justifying yourself, he says, and let me justify you, then yours is the kingdom of heaven. Do you see? It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating beginning, isn't it? Stop justifying yourself. Let me justify you. Oh, then you'll begin to grow in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Now, again, I think it's mourn in spirit. So I think it's mourn, mourning your sin. It's, it's saying to God, I just can't help myself. Lord, I, I wish I was not like this. I need to repent. And God says, great. As soon as you do that, I can forgive you. I will comfort you. Isaiah um, 40 has this great beginning. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. I'm sorry, I'm doing it in the Handel's Messiah version, um, if, you, if you know that. Um, and it goes on to say, say to Jerusalem, her sin has been paid for. Now, if your sin has been paid for, if you're forgiven, now you can start to flourish. Do you see... When, when you're trying to justify yourself before God, when you're trying to pretend that you're not as good as you are, or trying to pretend that you're better than you are, sorry, there's no growth. But you flourish when you're honest before God. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek who let go of power. Blessed are those who start to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Who start to say, I want to live this life. I know it's counterintuitive, but it is the way to flourish. And so you see, if you begin to be this kind of person, if you, uh, if you acknowledge your poverty of spirit, if you acknowledge your sin, um, then you can start to comfort others. You can be meek, you can be a peacemaker, you can be merciful. That is the first word of the sermon. Flourishing if you go this way. If you go the other way, sorry, if you go this way. <laughs> if you go this way, you're flourishing. That's the narrow road. If you go this way, the broad route, you're still trying to justify yourself. You're still trying to save yourself. You're still trying to tell yourself you're, you're not a sinner. But this way you will flourish. Blessed. It's an invitation. Jesus says, come on. Come into this. So that's the first thing I want to say. And, um, and I think it's a lovely thing because actually the Christian life is, is one which God wants you to really enjoy in all its fullness. 
Some of you may think, you know, becoming a Christian, it's, I could be really miserable about myself. <laughs> Actually, there's great joy in it. But it's counterintuitive. You've got to lean down the mountain, not lean back. Okay, you got that? All clear? Right, we can go on to the next point then. It's an invitation to a challenging life. <laughs> okay, I said it's counterintuitive because it's countercultural. Now, there used to be a time, um, and those of you who are older might remember, might have heard this. Um, people of my age, you know. Um, there used to be a time when people would say, you know, this Christianity thing, I'm not sure about Jesus and the miracles and stuff like that and resurrection, I'm not sure about that. But, you know, the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is very impressive. <laughs> they could never have read the Sermon on the Mount, honestly. <laughs> There was, um, there was a lecturer, actually a professor of um, American, she's an American professor, her name is Virginia Stem Owens, and she's a professor in Texas, uh, she's retired now, she's also an author, she's a friend of Philip Yancey's, um, a lovely Christian lady, and a very wise lady, and about 20 years ago she decided to give her class, her English class, this exercise. Read the Sermon on the Mount and write an essay about it. And she was really surprised by the comments that people made. Here's the first. These people, by the way, had never read the sermon before, ever. So they're kind of illiterate biblically, as it were. Here's the first comment. I did not like the essay, Sermon on the Mount. It was hard to read and made me feel like I had to be perfect. And no one is perfect. <laughs> or, the things asked in this sermon are absurd. To look at a woman is adultery? That is the most extreme, stupid, unhuman statement that I have ever heard. <laughs> and so on and so forth. And uh, she said this, Why were these students so angry at what they read and so blithe in their dismissal of it? And she came to this conclusion. She said, I find it strangely heartening that the Bible remains offensive to honest, ignorant ears just as it was in the first century. For me, that somehow validates its significance. Whereas the scriptures almost lost their characteristically astringent flavor during the past century, the current widespread biblical illiteracy should catapult us into a situation more nearly approximating that of the first century audience. So she's just saying, she is in, in a sense, people are realizing when, without all the accretions of you know, what people say about it, when you read it for the first time, it's shocking. It's terrifying. And it makes people angry. See, it's because it's countercultural. So who hungers and thirsts for righteousness? I mean, even that word righteousness... Is, is, is the word we don't use anymore, righteous. Do you use the word righteous? The only way you use it is you put a little bit before it, don't you? You go, self-righteous. So it's a nasty word, isn't it? But actually, true righteousness uh, loves justice, um, truth, peace, all those things. It's a lovely thing, righteous, righteousness. But you see, uh, it, it's countercultural. So it's not surprising that the eight, uh, the last one of the eight, finishes like this. Down in verse 10, if you want to look at it. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus expands it. He says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely slay all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Great is your reward in heaven. Wow. If you live this kingdom life, it is not only a glorious, flourishing life, it is also a challenging one in which you will feel that you're not fitting in with the world. You'll feel the tension, as it were, um, with the world. And it may make you wonder uh, in your Christian life, am I on the right track? Am I right to pursue this Christian path? Um, Because it's difficult. John Calvin says that most people think that the happy life is the one without any strains or stresses, free from worry or trouble. But uh, that's not the case. True happiness is not about our present emotional state. No. There's reassurance here. If it's difficult, it doesn't mean it's wrong. It probably means you're in the right place. There's a tension between living the Christian life in this world, living the life of the kingdom of heaven in the world of, uh, in, in the kingdom of this world. And you'll feel that tension. It's challenging. But it's not wrong. It is the way of flourishing. And you'll, 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 you'll have a battle with that as you go through your Christian life. And then Jesus goes and says something really totally surprising. He says, you're, you're going to find that you're countercultural. But that doesn't mean you hate the world. No, you love the world. What does he say in verses 13 to 16? He says, you are the salt of the earth. Uh, Or again, you are the light of the world. (laughs) You're actually actually meant to be a blessing to the world that doesn't like you (laughs) sometimes. You're meant to be a blessing to them. Look, salt, for instance. Salt is something... Is a preservative. You you rub it into meat that's going bad, uh, and uh, w- when you see things going bad, your instinct again, when you see people's lives falling apart, your instinct is to is to run away. But now, because you're a Christian, because the kingdom of heaven, as it were, is living in you, and you've started to follow Jesus, and His Spirit is living in you, there's another instinct that makes you run towards the problem. You're not running away. You're running towards it. You're going out towards where the difficulties are. You run towards the danger. You're not just salt. You're light. And of course, this, the direction is now different. You're a city standing on a hill. And of course, that's attracting people to it. You're living this kingdom life. Crazy if you hide your light under a bushel. As it says here, you just not be, you're just not being who you are. Um, it's crazy to put it under a bowl. Uh, people know you're Christians anyway, by the way. You know, if you ever tried to, um, I don't know if you've ever tried to do this, uh, try to pretend you're not a Christian, you know, just keep quiet about it. It just comes out. You might as well be honest and just say, I'm a Christian. Very, very hard to hide it. So, uh, because the light keeps peeking out under the bowl, <laughs> That was different. You know. So very hard to shine. Now, it is a challenge, without a doubt. 
to live this kingdom life. I remember um, speaking to a, a fireman who became a Christian. He's a great guy. Huge fella. You know, wonderful. I said, uh, he said, I've become a Christian. I said, that's great. And, and you're a fireman. Oh, well, how's your life now? You know, he said, it's terrible. I said, what do you mean it's terrible? He said, well, he says, uh, now I've got to go in and I've got to actually write down the actual hours I actually worked on my shift. <laughs> I used to not do that before. And now everybody hates me <laughs> because I'm living this righteous life. <laughs> but I've still got to do it. And uh, yeah, it was a fascinating, fascinating tension he was in. And uh, still going as a Christian, by the way. Just wonderful. So here's his Christian life. <clears throat> it's glorious, but it's challenging. And you're saying to yourself, I can see that some people might want to be like that guy on the roof, heroic and clearing the snow away, but I couldn't do it. Not me. And so we come to the final point. An invitation to ask, seek and knock, and a command to obey. If you're hungering and thirsting for something, let's say you're hungering for food and thirsting for water, um, particularly for water. Uh, what do you do? Uh, you've got no resources at all. Do you try and get an allotment just over there in, in Birch Grove? And you know, it would take you six months to get one. And you know, by the time you've grown your vegetables, you know, you probably have shrunk away to nothing. Uh, do, do you say, I'd better get a job and get some money to get some food? Well, that'll gonna take, that's going to take ages. If you're really hungry and really thirsty, you have to ask for intervention. You have to ask. Say, I need help. I need something. Now, this sermon that starts with an invitation gives you another invitation at the end. An invitation to ask. And would you turn over the page to 971. Page 971. Chapter 7, verse 7. These three glorious words. After all that he said about this extraordinary life. And you think to yourself, how on earth can I do this? And just, by the way, just take 45 minutes to read it through. To see how, um, you know, uh, in, at the end of chapter 5 is all about um, a, a genuine gospel life not just not committing adultery but not having that in your heart and 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 chapter six is all about praying genuinely to God and not impressing people and and then telling you not to worry because worrying is a sign that you stop trusting God and all of that it's gone through all of that and then you're thinking oh if I could I don't know how I'm going to live this life and then it says ask and it will be given you verse seven seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you. Three great words. Ask. Seek. Knock. Now why does Jesus tell you to do that? Well, it's probably because you, you know, you're, you're like me skiing. You're sort of thinking, well, there's the kingdom life that I'm being invited to. But I don't want to do it. And I'm leaning back. I think, go on. Take courage. Ask me. And what will happen? 
It'll be given you. <laughs> Seek, you will find. Knock, the door will be opened. And you're saying, but I don't want to do that because if I do that, it's going to ruin my life. If I really live a Christian life, it's going to ruin it. <laughs> so Jesus tells a little parable, two little parables at the end. And here's the first one. <clears throat> which one, verse 9, which one of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, let us imagine it's Christmas. And uh, if you have a, a little child, or let's say you have a little niece. Now, I've got uh, three grandchildren. And they say, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? I'm really hoping Father Christmas is going to give me... Um, a little wind-up little fish that I can put in the bath so that when I'm having my bubble bath, this kind of thing goes zzzz. I'd love one of those. I'd love Grandpa. Really hope we get one of those. So Grandpa, what does Grandpa do? Grandpa goes, yep, okay. I'm going to go out. I'm going to go out and get this. So I go out and I, I see the little toy store and I look there and I see the little windy-up fish that's kind of fun. They used to be popular about 20 years ago. And, uh, I, you know, I said, that's great. But I leave that shop. I don't, no, 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 I won't go there. No, no. No, I know where I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the, the pet shop. So I go up to the pet shop. And I say, excuse me, um, have you got something that's kind of grey-coloured but bites? He says, you know, it's really funny. We just had a delivery of scorpions. Oh, really great. I said, I'll have one of those. So I take the scorpion. I put it in a little box. Wrap it up. Put it at the bottom of the, um, uh, of the Christmas sock. There it is. And there's my little granddaughter opening up and going, Ah, Grandpa's got me a little windy up fish. And ah, it's a scorpion and it bites. And isn't that wonderful? <laughs> now listen, can I just say, I would not do that, right? I just, in case you report me to safeguarding, I would not do that, okay? No. And neither, if you're a parent, you would not do that to your children. You would not do that. And yet... We don't ask God because we think he's worse than the worst parent. We don't entrust our lives because we think he's worse than the worst grandparent. You know, we say, like, God, I'm, I, I want to give my whole life to you, but I know if I do, you're going to make me a missionary and you're going to send me to a place that has spiders and I hate spiders and that's just typical of you. No, he's not going to. That's not what he's going to do. No, it doesn't say that, does it? He says, look, it says, if you then, though you are evil, that's Steve James, you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So this kingdom life is a good gift. It's an invitation to ask, okay? What are you afraid of? Some of you are thinking about Christianity. What are you afraid of? He's the one person. Okay, you've got to be in awe of him. But he's the one person you can trust. More than your father, more than your mother, more than your grandfather or grandmother. Then the second little parable. Okay, this is a bit more serious. Over the page, he then finishes with another lovely little story. And you all know this, the wise and the foolish builders. And you know that little song, the wise man built his house upon the... And the foolish man built his house upon the... sand. that's right, and... Uh, uh, Rain came down and the floods came up and, you know, and whatever. I can't remember the song now, but you know it very well. Anyway, and, uh, and so it, it was, uh, that's right. Then the house and the rock stood firm and the house and the sand fell down flat. And so we normally, when we look at this, we normally ask the question, 
What's the difference between the two? Right? We normally ask the question, what's the difference? But I want you to discover what, what is the same between the two. What's, what's the same? So look at verse 24 and look at verse 26. And work out what do they both have in common, the wise person and the foolish person. And you're thinking about that, you see. Your assumption is that the wise people are here and the foolish people are out there. That's your assumption. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing. Okay. Now, what does it say? So the wise man, uh, so he, he's like a, verse 24, let me read it again. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. So what do they have in common? Come on, class. <laughs> they both hear, don't they? Yeah, they both hear. So where's, where's the foolish person? In here. To listen to all this and go away and never do it. Uh, they've never heard the word, so how can they know? <laughs> but to hear it and not do it. See, Jesus is a sting in the tail here. And why wouldn't you do the words of Jesus? Why wouldn't you put that into practice? It's this, because you don't really believe the very first word of the sermon. I've used this story before, please forgive me. But as the guy came up to me many years ago and he said, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I've passed my driving test. And I said, oh, that's really great. Um, Wonderful, I believe you can drive. And then the next week he came up to me and he said, uh, Steve, do you believe I can drive? And I said, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, pass your driving test, fabulous. He says, well, I want to go and see my girlfriend in Newcastle. Can I borrow your car? <laughs> different question, right? Different, totally different question. Did I really believe? No. <laughs> and in fact, I said, how old are you? He said, 24. I said, oh, my insurance is 25 and over. <laughs> That's how I got out of it. I did not believe, right, see? And, and this, is, this is the key here. It's, <clears throat> do you believe the very first word of the sermon that what Jesus is bringing you into is a blessed, flourishing life? And I, I have to challenge myself on this because, I, you know, there are times I, I, I do and I don't, and I do and I don't, and I, I need to soak myself in this word. And that is the question then that I have for you. If you believe this first word, blessed, flourishing, then you're in the right place. Let's pray. Let's just ponder <clears throat> this invitation to a flourishing, glorious life. Did you know that's what Jesus wants to give you? But did you also know that because there is another spirit in the world as well, there is a, a challenge in this life. It's counterintuitive. And you kind of recognize it. And it makes you wonder, can you ever live this? And then it's Jesus himself personally who tells you to ask, seek and knock. He he, he comes to you now and he says, look, don't be afraid. 
What I've come to give you is good. So it might be the people today understand that the Christian life is a good thing and to take hold of Jesus Christ or to take hold of Jesus again because you've let him go and it's kind of not been so great without him and to know that he'll have you back and lead you into a truly good life where you can flourish like a tree that is planted by water whose leaf withers not. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts and you know where we are. So deal with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Steve, thanks very much. I was really struck and challenged there by, by what Steve was just saying.